Book Three, Chapter Seven of the Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Three: The Fascination, Chapter Seven: The Morning and the Evening of a Day. The wedding morning came. Nobody would have imagined from appearances that Bloom's End had any interest in Mistover that day. A solemn stillness prevailed around the house of Clem's mother, and there was no more animation indoors. Mrs. Yobright, who had declined to attend the ceremony, sat by the breakfast-table in the old room which communicated immediately with the porch, her eyes listlessly directed towards the open door. It was the room in which, six months earlier, the merry Christmas party had met, to which Eustacia came secretly and as a stranger. The only living thing that entered now was a sparrow, and, seeing no movements to cause alarm, he hopped boldly round the room, endeavoured to go out by the window, and fluttered among the pot-flowers. This roused the lonely sitter, who got up, released the bird, and went to the door. She was expecting Thomason who had written the night before to state that the time had come when she would wish to have the money, and that she would, if possible, call this day. Yet Thomason occupied Mrs. Yobright's thoughts but slightly, as she looked up the valley of the heath, alive with butterflies and with grasshoppers, whose husky noises on every side formed a whispered chorus. A domestic drama, for which the preparations were now being made a mile or two off, was but little less vividly present to her eyes than if enacted before her. She tried to dismiss the vision, and walked about the garden plot, but her eyes ever and anon sought out the direction of the parish church to which Mistover belonged, and her excited fancy clove the hills which divided the building from her eyes. The morning wore away. Eleven o'clock struck. Could it be that the wedding was then in progress? It must be so. She went on imagining the scene at the church, which he had by this time approached with his bride. She pictured the little group of children by the gate as the pony carriage drove up, in which, as Thomason had learnt, they were going to perform the short journey. Then she saw them enter and proceed to the chancel and kneel, and the service seemed to go on. She covered her face with her hands. Oh, it is a mistake she groaned and he will rue it some day and think of me while she remained thus overcome by her forebodings the old clock indoors whizzed forth twelve strokes soon after faint sounds floated to her ear from afar over the hills the breeze came from that quarter and it had brought with it the notes of distant bells gaily starting off in a peal one two three four five the ringers at East Egdon were announcing the nuptials of Eustacia and her son. Then it is over, she murmured. Well, well, and life too will be over soon, and why should I go on scalding my face like this, cry about one thing in life, cry about all, one thread runs through the whole piece, and yet we say, a time to laugh. Towards evening Wild Eve came. Since Thomason's marriage, Mrs. Yobright had shown him that grim friendliness which at last arises in all such cases of undesired affinity. The vision of what ought to have been is thrown aside in sheer weariness, 
and browbeaten human endeavour listlessly makes the best of the fact that is. Wildeve, to do him justice, had behaved very courteously to his wife's aunt, and it was with no surprise that she saw him enter now. Uh, Thomasin has not been able to come as she promised to do. A reply to her inquiry, which had been anxious, for she knew that her niece was badly in want of money. The captain came down last night and personally pressed her to join them today. So, not to be unpleasant, she determined to go. They fetched her in the pony chaise and are going to bring her back. Then it is done, said Mrs. Yorbright. Have they gone to their new home? I don't know. I've had no news from Miss Dover since Thomason left to go. You did not go with her? said she, as if there might be good reasons why. I could not, said Wild Eve, reddening slightly. Uh, we could not both leave the house. It was rather a busy morning on account of Angelbury Great Market. I believe you have something to give to Thomasin? If you like, I'll, I'll take it. Mrs. Yorbright hesitated, and wondered if Wild Eve knew what the something was. Did she tell you of this? she inquired. Not particularly. She casually dropped a remark about having to arrange to fetch some article or other. It is hardly necessary to send it. She can have it whenever she chooses to come. That won't be yet. In the present state of her health she must not go on walking so much as she has done. He added, with a faint twang of sarcasm. What wonderful thing is it that I cannot be trusted to take? Nothing worth troubling you with. One would think you doubted my honesty he said with a laugh, though his colour rose in a quick resentfulness frequent with him. "'You need think no such thing,' said she dryly. "'It is simply that I, in common with the rest of the world, feel that there are certain things which had better be done by certain people than by others.' "'As you like, as you like,' said Wild Eve laconically. "'It is not worth arguing about. Well, I think I must turn homeward again.' as the inn must not be left long in charge of the lad and the maid only. He went his way, his farewell being scarcely so courteous as his greeting. But Mrs. Yobright knew him thoroughly by this time, and took little notice of his manner, good or bad. When Wild Eve was gone, Mrs. Yobright stood and considered what would be the best course to adopt with regard to the guineas, which she had not liked to entrust to Wild Eve. It was hardly credible that Thomason had told him to ask for them, when the necessity for them had arisen from the difficulty of obtaining money at his hands. At the same time, Thomason really wanted them, and might be unable to come to Bloom's End for another week at least. To take or send the money to her at the inn would be impolite, since Wildeve would pretty surely be present, or would discover the transaction and if, as her aunt suspected, he treated her less kindly than she deserved to be treated, he might then get the whole sum out of her gentle hands. But on this particular evening, Thomason was at Mistover, and anything might be conveyed to her there without the knowledge of her husband. Upon the whole, the opportunity was worth taking advantage of. Her son, too, was there, and was now married. There could be no more proper moment to render him his share of the money than the present, and the chance that would be afforded her, by sending him this gift, of showing how far she was from bearing him ill-will, cheered the sad mother's heart. She went upstairs and took from a locked drawer a little box, 
out of which she poured a hoard of broad unworn guineas that had lain there many a year. There were a hundred in all, and she divided them into two heaps, fifty in each. Tying up these in small canvas bags, she went down to the garden, and called on Christian Cantal, who was loitering about in hope of a supper which was really not owed him. Mrs. Yobright gave him the money-bags, charged him to go to Mistover, and on no account to deliver them into any one's hands save her son's and Thomason's. On further thought she deemed it advisable to tell Christian Cantal precisely what the two bags contained, that he might be fully impressed with their importance. Christian pocketed the money-bags, promised the greatest carefulness, and set out on his way. "'You need not hurry,' said Mrs. Yobright. "'It will be better not to get there till after dusk, and then nobody will notice you. Come back here to supper if it is not too late.' It was nearly nine o'clock when he began to ascend the vale towards Mistover, but the long days of summer being at their climax, the first obscurity of evening had only just begun to tan the landscape. At this point of his journey Christian heard voices, and found that they proceeded from a company of men and women who were traversing a hollow ahead of him, the tops only of their heads being visible. He paused, and thought of the money he carried. It was almost too early even for Christian seriously to fear robbery. Nevertheless, he took a precaution, which ever since his boyhood he had adopted whenever he carried more than two or three shillings upon his person a precaution somewhat like that of the owner of the pit diamond when filled with similar misgivings. He took off his boots, untied the guineas, and emptied the contents of one little bag into the right boot and of the other into the left, spreading them as flatly as possible over the bottom of each, which was really a spacious coffer by no means limited to the size of the foot. Pulling them on again and lacing them to the very top, he proceeded on his way more easy in his head than under his soles. His path converged towards that of the noisy company, and on coming nearer he found to his relief that they were several Egdon people whom he knew very well, while with them walked Fairway of Bloom's End. "'What? Christian going to?' said Fairway, as soon as he recognized the newcomer. "'You've got no young woman nor wife to your name to gear gown-piece to, I'm sure.' "'What do you mean?' said Christian. "'Why, the raffle. The one we go to every year. Going to the raffle as well as ourselves?' "'Never knew a word o't. Is it like cudgel-playing or other sportful forms of bloodshed? I don't want to go, thank you, Mr. Fairway, and no offence. "'Christian don't know the fonnet, and twould be a fine sight for him,' said a buxom woman. "'There's no danger at all, Christian.' Every man puts in a shilling apiece, and one wins a gown-piece for his wife or sweetheart if he's got one. Well, as that's not my fortune, there's no meaning in it to me. But I should like to see the fun, if there's nothing of the black art in it, and if a man may look on without cost or getting into any dangerous wrangle. There will be no uproar at all, said Timothy. Sure, Christian, if you'd like to come, we'll see there's no harm done and no body gaieties i suppose you see neighbours if so it would be setting father a bad example as he is so light moraled but a gown piece for a shilling and no black art tis worth looking in to see and it wouldn't hinder me half an hour yes i'll come if you step a little way towards mistover with me afterwards supposing night should have closed in and nobody else is going that way 
one or two promised and christian diverging from his direct path turned round to the right with his companions towards the quiet woman when they entered the large common room of the inn they found assembled there about ten men from among the neighbouring population and the group was increased by the new contingent to double that number most of them were sitting round the room in seats divided by wooden elbows like those of crude cathedral stalls which were carved with the initials of many an illustrious drunkard of former times who had passed his days and his nights between them and now lay as an alcoholic cinder in the nearest churchyard among the cups on the long table before the sitters lay an open parcel of light drapery the gown piece as it was called which was to be raffled for wildeve was standing with his back to the fireplace smoking a cigar and the promoter of the raffle a packman from a distant town was expatiating upon the value of the fabric as material for a summer dress now gentlemen he continued as the newcomers drew up to the table there's five have entered and we want four more to make up the number i think by the faces of those gentlemen who have just come in that they are shrewd enough to take advantage of this rare opportunity of beautifying their ladies at a very trifling expense fairway sam and another placed their shillings on the table and the man turned to christian no sir said christian drawing back with a quick gaze of misgiving i am only a poor chap come to look on and it please ye sir i don't so much as know how you do it if so be i was sure of getting it i would put down the shilling but i couldn't otherwise i think you might almost be sure said the pedlar in fact now i look into your face even if i can't say you are sure to win i can say that i never saw anything look more like winning in my life you'll anyhow have the same chance as the rest of us said sam and the extra luck of being the last comer said another and i was born wit a call and perhaps can be no more ruined than drowned christian added beginning to give way ultimately christian laid down his shilling the raffle began and the dice went round when it came to christian's turn he took the box with a trembling hand shook it fearfully and threw a pair royal three of the others had thrown common low pairs and all the rest mere points the gentleman looked like winning as i said observed the gentleman blandly take it sir the article is yours ha 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 said fairway i'm damned if this isn't the quarter start that ever i knowed mine asked christian with a vacant stare from his target eyes i-i haven't got neither maid wife nor widder belonging to me at all and i'm afeard it will have me laughed at to have it master traveller what with being curious to join in i never thought of that what shall i do with a woman's clothes in my bedroom and not lose my decency keep em to be sure said fairway if it is only for luck perhaps twill tempt some woman that thy poor carcass had no power over when standing empty-handed keep it certainly said wild eve who had idly watched the scene from a distance the table was then cleared of the articles and the men began to drink well to be sure said christian half to himself to think i should have been born so lucky as this and not have found it out until now 
what curious creatures these dice be powerful rulers of us all and yet at my command i am sure i never need to be afeard of anything after this he handled the dice fondly one by one why sir he said in a confidential whisper to wildeve who was near his left hand if i could only use this power that's in me of multiplying money i might do some good to a near relation of yours seeing what i've got about me of hers eh he tapped one of his money-laden boots upon the floor what do you mean said wildeve that's a secret well i must be going now he looked anxiously towards fairway where are you going wildeve asked to mist over knapp i have to see mrs thomason there that's all i'm going there too to fetch mrs wildeve we can walk together Wildeve became lost in thought, and a look of inward illumination came into his eyes. It was money for his wife that Mrs. Yobright could not trust him with. "'Yes, she could trust this fellow,' he said to himself. "'Why doesn't that which belongs to the wife belong to the husband, too?' He called to the potboy to bring him his hat, and said, "'Now, Christian, I'm ready.' "'Mr. Wildeve,' said Christian timidly, as he turned to leave the room would you mind lending me them wonderful little things that carry my luck inside em that i might practice a bit by myself you know he looked wistfully at the dice and box lying on the mantelpiece certainly said wildeve carelessly they were only cut out by some lad with his knife and are worth nothing and christian went back and privately pocketed them wildeve opened the door and looked out the night was warm and cloudy by gad tis dark he continued but i suppose we shall find our way if we should lose the path it might be awkward said christian a lantern is the only shield that will make it safe for us uh, let's have a lantern by all means the stable lantern was fetched and lighted christian took up his gown piece and the two set out to ascend the hill within the room the men fell into chat till their attention was for a moment drawn to the chimney-corner. This was large, and, in addition to its proper recess, contained within its jams, like many on Egdon, a receding seat, so that a person might sit there absolutely unobserved, provided there was no fire to light him up, as was the case now and throughout the summer. From the niche a single object protruded into the light from the candles on the table. It was a clay pipe. The colour was reddish. The men had been attracted to this object by a voice behind the pipe, asking for a light. "'Upon my life, it fairly startled me when the man spoke,' said Fairway, handing a candle. "'Oh, tis the Reddleman. You've kept a quiet tongue, young man.' "'Yes, I had nothing to say,' observed Venn. In a few minutes he arose and wished the company good-night.' Meanwhile, wild even Christian had plunged into the heath. It was a stagnant, warm, and misty night, full of all the heavy perfumes of new vegetation not yet dried by hot sun, and among these particularly the scent of the fern. The lantern, dangling from Christian's hand, brushed the feathery fronds in passing by, disturbing moths and other winged insects, which flew out and alighted upon its horny panes so you have money to carry to mrs wildeve don't you think it very odd that it shouldn't be given to me said christian's companion after a silence 
as man and wife be one flesh twould have been all the same i should think said christian but my strict documents was to give the money into mrs wildeve's hand and tis well to do things right no doubt said wildeve any person who had known the circumstances might have perceived that wildeve was mortified by the discovery that the matter in transit was money and not as he had supposed when at bloom's end some fancy knick-knack which only interested the two women themselves mrs yobright's refusal implied that his honour was not considered to be sufficiently good quality to make him a safe bearer of his wife's property how very warm it is to-night christian he said panting when they were nearly under rain-barrow let's sit down for a few minutes for heaven's sake wildeve flung himself down on the soft ferns and christian placing the lantern and parcel on the ground perched himself in a cramped position hard by his knees almost touching his chin he presently thrust one hand into his coat pocket and began shaking it about what are you rattling in there said wildeve only the dice sir said christian quickly withdrawing his hand what magical machines these little things be mr wildeve tis a game i should never get tired of would you mind my taking em out and looking at em for a minute to see how they are made i didn't like to look close before the other men for fear they should think it bad manners in me christian took them out and examined them in the hollow of his hand by the lantern light that these little things should carry such luck and such charm and such a spell and such power in em passes all i ever heard or zeed he went on with a fascinated gaze at the dice which as is frequently the case in country places were made of wood the points being burnt upon each face with the end of a wire they're a great deal in a small compass you think yes do ye suppose they really be the devil's playthings mr wildeve if so tis no good sign that i be such a lucky man you ought to win some money now that you've got them any woman would marry you then now is your time christian and i would recommend you not to let it slip some men are born to luck some are not i belong to the latter class did you ever know anybody who was born to it besides myself oh yes i once heard of an italian who sat down at a gaming table with only a louis that's a foreign sovereign in his pocket he played on for twenty-four hours and won ten thousand pounds stripping the bank he had played against then there was another man who had lost a thousand pounds and went to the brokers next day to sell stock that he might pay the debt the man to whom he owed the money went with him in a hackney coach and to pass the time they tossed who should pay the fare the ruined man won and the other was tempted to continue the game and they played all the way when the coachman stopped he was told to drive home again the whole thousand pounds had been won back by the man who was going to sell <laughs> splendid exclaimed christian go on go on then there was a man of london who was only a waiter at white's clubhouse he began playing first half crown stakes and then higher and higher till he became very rich got an appointment in india and rose to be governor of madras his daughter married a member of parliament and the bishop of carlisle stood godfather to one of the children wonderful wonderful and once there was a young man in america who gambled till he had lost his last dollar he staked his watch and chain and lost as before staked his umbrella lost again staked his hat lost again staked his coat and stood in his shirt sleeves lost again 
began taking off his breeches, and then a looker-on gave him a trifle for his pluck. With this he won, won back his coat, won back his hat, won back his umbrella, his watch, his money, and went out of the door a rich man. Oh, tis too good! It takes away my breath. Mr. Wildeve, I think I will try another shilling with you, as I am one of that sort. No danger can come out, and you can afford to lose. Very well, said Wildeve, rising. Searching about with the lantern, he found a large flat stone, which he placed between himself and Christian, and sat down again. The lantern was opened to give more light, and its rays directed upon the stone. Christian put down a shilling, Wildeve another, and each threw. Christian won. They played for two. Christian won again. Let us try four, said Wildeve. They played for four. This time the stakes were won by Wildeve. Ah, oh, those little accidents will, of course, sometimes happen to the luckiest man, he observed. And now I have no more money, explained Christian excitedly. And yet if I could go on I should get it back again, and more. I wish this was mine. He struck his boot upon the ground, so that the guineas chinked within. What? You have not put Mrs. Wildeve's money there? Yes, tis for safety. Is it any harm to raffle with a married lady's money when, if I win, I shall only keep my winnings, and give her her own all the same? And if t'other man wins, her money will go to the lawful owner? None at all. Wildeve had been brooding ever since they started on the mean estimation in which he was held by his wife's friends, and it cut his heart severely. As the minutes passed, he had gradually drifted into a revengeful intention, without knowing the precise moment of forming it. This was to teach Mrs. Yopright a lesson, as he considered it to be. In other words, to show her, if he could, that her niece's husband was the proper guardian of her niece's money. "'Well, here goes,' said Christian, beginning to unlace one boot. "'I shall dream of it nights and nights, I suppose. But I shall always swear my flesh don't crawl when I think o't.' He thrust his hand into the boot, and withdrew one of poor Thomason's precious guineas, piping hot. Wildeve had already placed a sovereign on the stone. The game was then resumed. Wildeve won first, and Christian ventured another, winning himself this time. The game fluctuated, but the average was in Wildeve's favour. Both men became so absorbed in the game that they took no heed of anything but the pygmy objects immediately beneath their eyes, the flat stone, the open lantern, the dice, and the few illuminated fern-leaves which lay under the light were the whole world to them. At length Christian lost rapidly, and presently, to his horror, the whole fifty guineas belonging to Thomason had been handed over to his adversary. "'I don't care! I don't care!' he moaned, and desperately set about untying his left boot to get at the other fifty. "'The devil will toss me into the flames on his three-pronged fork for this night's work, I know. But perhaps I shall win yet.' and then I'll get a wife to sit up with me a nights, and I won't be afeard, I won't. Here's another for ye, my man. He slapped another guinea down upon the stone, and the dice-box was rattled again. Time passed on. Wildeve began to be as excited as Christian himself. 
when commencing the game his intention had been nothing further than a bitter practical joke on mrs yobright to win the money fairly or otherwise and to hand it contemptuously to thomason in her aunt's presence had been the dim outline of his purpose but men are drawn from their intentions even in the course of carrying them out and it was extremely doubtful by the time the twentieth guinea had been reached whether Wildeve was conscious of any other intention than that of winning for his own personal benefit. Moreover, he was now no longer gambling for his wife's money, but for Yobright's, though of this fact Christian, in his apprehensiveness, did not inform him till afterwards. It was nearly eleven o'clock when, with almost a shriek, Christian placed Yobright's last gleaming guinea upon the stone in thirty seconds it had gone the way of its companions christian turned and flung himself on the ferns in a convulsion of remorse oh what shall i do with my wretched self he groaned what shall i do will any good heaven have mercy upon my wicked soul do live on just the same i won't live on just the same i'll die i say you are a a a man sharper than my neighbour yes a man sharper than my neighbour a regular sharper poor chips in porridge you are very unmannerly i don't know about that and i say you be unmannerly you've got money that isn't your own half the guineas are poor mr Klim's. how's that because i had to give fifty of em to him mrs yobright said so oh well twould have been more graceful of her to have given them to his wife eustatia but they're in my hands now christian pulled on his boots and with heavy breathings which could be heard to some distance dragged his limbs together arose and tottered away out of sight wildeve set upon shutting the lantern to return to the house for he deemed it too late to go to mistover to meet his wife who was to be driven home in the captain's four-wheel while he was closing the little horn door a figure rose from behind a neighbouring bush and came forward into the lantern light it was the reddle man approaching end of book three chapter seven